All right, peeps, on today's episode of the Kung Fu Genius, the genius will be answering all sorts of questions live on YouTube. Lots of gems, lots of wooden dummy nonsense, and lots of, did Brendan Lee say what? Let's get to it. And every day, I practice martial arts. <laughs> Yo, here we are. Here we go, guys. So, uh, for those hey, how you doing? For those of us joining us today in the live stream, you may notice a slightly different format. I, for whatever reason, have a brick background behind me because everything (laughs) that could go wrong did go wrong today. First of all, I left my laptop at the school, uh, the laptop that I would normally use for the live stream. Second. I got locked out of my house when I went to go pick up, pick up my girls from the school. So I'm awaiting a set of keys to get into my house. So I'm live streaming from the phone. So how are you gents doing? Are you doing? in Starbucks, Sifu? No, I'm right in front of my door. We're waiting for a key to come. So that's, that's what's going on right now. <laughs> okay, that's awesome. This how you doing, awesome. Mikey? What is it? What do they call that? The uh, doing good, Seagong. Just uh, you know, MacGyver's Edge. What is what is that called? The, when what is everything what called? can go wrong. Uh, it's called everything Murphy's that's going to go wrong. That's called what? Sod's Law. It's called yeah. Murphy's Law. It's Murphy's Law in Sod's America. Law. Sod's Law in England. Sod's, Sod's Law. So yeah, Sod's, yeah. Sod's Law. Law. Law of Zod. Yeah. Kneel, kneel before me when something goes wrong. Oh yeah, amazing. So here we are. We're doing a, a Patreon, a Patreon only live stream, and uh, it is uh, it's just for our Patreons who can join us. Which, of course, because we have Patreons from all over the world, it's not always possible for them to join us at one time because obviously right. they're all over the place. We have people who support us on Patreon who are probably still sleeping in bed right now. Uh, so what I also did was I I um, put a survey or I put I made a post on Patreon and ask what kind of questions would you guys uh, like me to answer? So even if we don't have a bunch of our Patreons live today here in the stream with us, uh, we still have their questions to answer. So um, we do have one question right off the bat, which is the whole theme of today's episode. Uh, Dre, why don't you get into that? Uh, Yeah, sure. Oscar Menendez. Hey, Oscar Menendez, that's what's up. Yeah. Top Patreon of the day. I wish I had something like your podcast when I was a teen. Okay? I wish we all had something like this as a teen. All I had were magazines. My mind was blown learning that Bruce did not finish his training in Wing Chun and that later Yip Man refused to teach him the wooden dummy form. Still, I have seen pictures of Bruce working out on a dummy. He was probably the first to bring a jong to the States. Okay. My two-part question is what benefits would someone gain from the dummy not knowing the proper way to train on it? He may have learned some of the form from WSL. You may know more. I guess WSL means like what? Wizard from St. Louis? Something like that. It means Wong Sun Lung, you ignoramus. Oh, Um, oh, okay. (laughs) (laughs) Lastly, with modern training, is the dummy still relevant in the 21st century? 
Uh, these are all very good, great questions. The door's just been open, so I'll finally be able to get back into my place. <laughs> right as I answer the first question on the stream, this is perfect timing. Um, yes. Okay, uh, so bear with me a little bit. Um, well, that's actually a very good question. Now, the first thing that Oscar said is actually the one of the more interesting things for me, which is that he said, you know, we grew up on magazines, and yeah. he wished he had something like our podcast when he was growing up. The thing is, magazines also up on books and i think that that's the exact reason we talk about this on podcasts regularly i don't think the new mm -hmm. generation which is learning everything by osmosis through youtube uh, will necessarily be able to talk about these things at length the way we do because we can talk about these things because we grew up with the magazines we read all that stuff you know what i mean yeah. so uh i think that that's actually part of it hold on i know this is not the most flattering view hold on a second Okay, so <laughs> that's great. This is the go. best episode ever. This is the best so episode far, my right. favorite. Okay, my favorite yeah, now I'm so finally far. inside my house. Perfect. Um, All right. Okay, so the, the question is a little so the first part, if I understood it correctly, was about whether Bruce Lee had properly learned the dummy or not, because mm. he has, you know, support supposedly was the first or one of the first people to bring the dummy to the States. And then obviously there are photos of him on the dummy. Obviously he taught his students stuff on the dummy. So the question is always, well, if he didn't really learn the dummy officially, what did he teach? Right. then what the hell was he, what the hell was he teaching on the wooden dummy, right? <laughs> uh, and so I think then we, we get into these kind of questions about the nature of the wooden dummy and who learned what and what is its utility and all that kind of stuff, right? So on, okay. on the... On the whole, the kind of Jeet Kune Do perspective about things is that the wooden dummy is just a tool. It's just a training device. Nothing any more special than a heavy bag. I feel like Mr. Rogers taking my coming coming into my house, taking off <laughs> taking off my sweatshirt. <laughs> yeah, I took all my shoes right and uh, changing them up. Very funny. Honestly, I'm just glad that you're now into Wi-Fi range because now you're going to stop sounding like an '80s robot. That's ah, right. sweet, yeah, perfect. Yeah, the sound guy. Would know. So, Definitely. so anyway, um, uh, the, the question is, well, if he had properly learned the dummy or not. Mm -hmm. And it's pretty clear. I mean, it's difficult to say what Bruce Lee, in fact, learned and didn't learn because none of us were there. We're going on what he said, what other people said. And these are not always the most reliable methods of getting that knowledge. I think Bruce Lee is really the only one who could say for sure what he had learned and what he didn't learn. Um, I, for sure, I, I don't think he learned the wooden dummy formally, certainly not from Grandmaster Yipman. That doesn't uh, preclude the possibility that he had learned some of the dummy stuff from his Sihangs, from, a, you know, one of his seniors here and there. And, uh, and, you know, so he could have, as the Chinese like to say, stole the wooden dummy techniques from you know fr from an unsuspecting senior at some point right mm, which is nice. how a lot of stuff a lot of stuff was taught in those days you would um you know you would go and you would learn from your teacher and then your see hangs in the class would often you know show you something on the side or hey see who showed me this or hey let me show yeah. you this thing over here right so so much of what we learn in the kung fu school uh in fact, comes somewhat informally from our training partners. And this has always kind of been the tradition. 
And I think it's probably pretty similar in most traditional martial arts schools that uh, you have your teacher and then when you have some well-trusted, some trusted classmates or some trusted seniors, that they, mm-hmm. you know, they come and they supplement what you're learning on the side or they show you stuff or occasionally show you stuff that the Sifu or the Sensei hasn't shown you yet. So, Well, the thing is, when, when, when I was coming up, I had a couple of Sihings that would show me stuff, but I was actually the dummy that they were showing the stuff on. So that was uh-huh. fun for me. Well, that's often how we learn, being the punching dummy yeah. for a little bit. And, and you know, that, 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 that we've, we've all taken our licks as far as that goes, right? Oh, yeah. So, uh, you know, it was, no, it was no different for for me when I was coming up. So um, so that that's the first part is that I don't believe that Bruce Lee formally learned the dummy for a couple of reasons. One. He wasn't technically qualified from a Wing Chun perspective in terms of how much Wing Chun he had learned to be at the level to learn the wooden dummy. He was not there yet, so to speak. Uh, but that doesn't stop, you know, any Hings or other classmates from kind of showing him some stuff on the side. The other possibility is that he also just could have seen seniors practicing on the dummy whether during class or outside of class or informally and just kind of like most people kind of put a little side eye on that and copy a few movements. And if you understand anything about the basic wooden dummy techniques, a lot of the basic wooden dummy stuff are normal techniques that he may have already learned in the fist fighting bit, but just yeah. didn't learn it on the dummy. And then he just watches some senior do it on the dummy and he puts two and two together. Right. That doesn't mean he has knowledge of the form. That doesn't mean he has knowledge of, or had knowledge of the intricacies of how the, wooden dummy is applied in, in, in terms of how do you use these movements from the form in chi sao or gao sao or let sao. But, um, you know, he, he probably borrowed some stuff there, right? And so, Mikey, whatever that is that you're grabbing is so loud in the... In <laughs> sorry, you know, I can't hear it. Of, yeah, sorry. I a pack of rabbits back there or something. I'm doing my impression of Dre. Got it. You probably... <laughs> probably you you probably need to put it on mute if you want to grab another crisp oh, out of the bag, right? I'll stop. I'll stop. One right, more. Yeah, so mute, and mute that mute the cop car behind you yeah. too. Or the ambulance. Who's the co- yeah, who's got the cop car going on? That's definitely not me. There we go. All right, good. That's so, definitely Mikey. Go. The solution was just to mute Mikey. That was the whole solution right there. So um there we go. Now he can't say anything. We can make fun of his accent, we can make fun of all sorts yeah. of things. Um, yeah. yeah. So, okay. So when it comes to Bruce Lee and the wooden dummy, he could have learned it on the sly from a sea hang. He could have stolen some techniques. It could be a mixture of both of those. Uh, mm-hmm. But for sure, I don't think he, he learned the proper wooden dummy techniques. Now that, that also opens a question, well, then where did the, uh, the Jun Fun wooden dummy sets come from? Because in a lot of Cheat Kune Do schools, they teach the Jun Fun dummy sets, which are the Bruce Lee sets on the wooden dummy. Um, I've seen those sets and parts of it look like they've just been lifted off of the form. And I cannot determine whether that was done during the time of Bruce Lee or after. I mean, remember that Mm. Bruce Lee died in 1973. And in the ensuing years, more and more Wing Chun Sifu published books about the wooden dummy techniques. Eventually, there were videos and um, tutorials that came out from various teachers of Wing Chun throughout the 70s and the 80s. So when I see, because uh, I've, I've had some various teachers 
show me the um the wooden dummy sets the junfan wooden dummy sets and it looks like mm. part of it looks like it's lifted from the form part of it looks like it's uh, uh could be lifted from another source so it's okay. very difficult to say when did those junfan sets come in i don't think i learned them as such but i'm willing to be corrected on that point I have never heard of the Jun Fan wooden dummy sets. I've never seen them when I practiced Jeet Kune Do or Jeet Kune Do concepts. I didn't know they existed. I'm very curious what these look like now. Uh, they, I mean, it, it looks like the first few sets of the form. And then from uh -huh. what I recall, the later sets, which uh, for sure Bruce Lee did not have access to set seven, set eight, those kind of things. Um, it looks a little more Jeet Kune do for lack of a better term. But again, I, mm -hmm. I would have to talk to someone who actually knows about it. Sorry, I'm just adjusting my camera right here. Uh, I would have right. to talk to someone who knows more about that because uh, I, I don't know. Uh, when I looked at them, I had the sneaking suspicion where I, whatever their source was is not Bruce Lee. Uh, I think that this might have been added into Jeet Kune do later, but I could be totally wow. wrong. I don't, I, don't have, I don't have any I don't have any skin in the game as far as that goes. Um, it's just it's just my observation as a total outsider, and it could also totally be wrong, and I'm fine with that. Um, mm -hmm. So then the the second part of the question was whether the wooden dummy itself still has relevance uh, in terms of uh, being a training tool. And I would say um, my answer to that is, is as follows. Um, the wooden dummy is a training tool. And it can be used simply as a training tool to practice kicks and punches and positions and jolting power and moving around your opponent's force and doing some of these mm -hmm. movements, you know, against a, uh, a, a training apparatus. Uh, then there is also the question of the actual form because the, and I talk about this in my, um, in my wooden dummy book, um, cleverly titled the wooden dummy uh, avail <laughs> available Right. CityWT.com. Um, oh, one yes. of the point one of the points I make in the book is that there is a there are kind of like two camps within both Wing Chun and Jeet Kune Do, and it's the one camp is kind of like ah oh, the wooden dummy is just a training tool. It's just it's in the same category as a uh, heavy bag, or the same category as uh, you know a Makiwara board, or the same category as insert any normal type of training piece of equipment. So that's why you have Jeet Kune Do people going up to the dummy and just kind of almost using it like a make makeshift kind of heavy bag with some arms. Right. And when I see people like Anderson Silva or Tony Ferguson work their stuff on there, it's like a mixture of some stuff they saw in movies and just using the thing as in an intuitive kind of way based on their own martial arts ideas. Right. So there is the aspect of, it is also just a training tool can be used as such to develop attributes, power, just timing, distance, whatever you want to work on. But then there is also the other aspect of that in proper classical Wing Chun, there's a form attached to that training apparatus. And if you learn this form and you have a qualified teacher, that teacher can also show you how to use those movements on the form with a partner. And the wooden dummy has a special place in the Wing Chun's curriculum uh, or I should say in Wing Chun's curriculum, where it acts as both a refinement device to streamline how you move and what you do to essentially learn to do more with less. There's a, mm -hmm. power, there's a power transfer modality in terms of how to transfer that short force 
into your opponent without pulling back your arms, which is not exclusive to the dummy, but the dummy further instructs this point. And then uh, there is also the straight up applications of these movements in Gaussel and sparring against either other Wing Chun people or against highly specialized attacks. That's a whole body of knowledge that you need to learn the form. Then you need to learn how it's applied in Qi Sao and then how it's applied in free fighting, Latso, whatever you want to call it. And that's the part that we're talking, when we say the wooden dummy techniques, we're not just talking about doing the form and going, okay, you know the form, now you're a badass. You know it. You, you got to know how to use that, you know, how to use the neck pull and counter the neck pull and ta- what is Tan Sao Tai Chiang for and Ghost Hand and how do we use Popeye and all of its different iterations against mm. the resisting opponent, right? There's that whole body of knowledge. And when when non-Wing Chun people talk about the wooden dummy, they often assume that the wooden dummy is just the first category. It's just a training device. Right. And so they're like, well, who, why do you need to learn a form? You could just go on that thing and freestyle. And I'm like, yeah, I'm all for it. You can use it as a tool. It is a tool. I use the wooden dummy. I just train on the wooden dummy. I don't necessarily even do the form that much anymore. I only do the form when I need to teach it. Okay. Um, but we're also talking about specifically in Wing Chun, this body of knowledge, which is codified in a form that then is later taught in free fighting and in application. And if you don't learn that, then you don't know how to use the wooden dummy techniques. And that is a separate thing. So to learn Wing Chun mm. properly and completely, you need to do it. But the wooden dummy doesn't replace a sparring partner. Wooden dummy doesn't replace Gao Wooden dummy doesn't replace the practical training tools that we have in Wing Chun. It's just one of the tools we have to teach the art. So if someone doesn't have access to the wooden dummy form applications, Gao how to use this stuff, then they're kind of stuck in the first category that it's just a training device. It's just a, it's just an expensive heavy bag. And oh, then right. of course, then of course, all bets are off. They can do whatever they want on that thing because mm-hmm. it's just a training device. Wow. So, so yeah, you would say that it's still relevant in Wing Chun schools for the most part. Yes. Or just in Correct. the culture. Okay. Yeah, so I, w- I would say it's relevant to learning Wing Chun, but it doesn't replace uh, mm-hmm. sparring. I mean, uh, there are people within our association who have learned the form, or not within our association, I should say within WT, the Learning Line, right. who learned the form and learned the T-cell sections, but they don't know how to apply it in sparring. So they just know some form on a piece of wood and they know some two-man choreography, right? I also mm. don't consider that really knowledge of the wooden dummy in practice. Uh, but then there are people that only learn the form and they're like, I learned the form. And then they come to me like, so what's it for? And I'm like, uh, your Sifu, the person who taught you the form can't tell you what it's for. And then mm. it, it, then that, that tends to then put great doubt in me in terms of, well, if someone comes to me and says their Sifu taught them the form, but didn't teach them the applications because they, maybe they don't know them or know that it's special. Then I also tend to doubt, well, is that the same way you look at your Buji? Did you just learn the Buji form and then a couple little ideas and then call it a day and say you finished Buji? Or did you actually learn how to use the various elbows in, in the different situations? How to use the Buji itself? How to use the Chan Sao? How to use the throat cutting hand? Why do we have this type of Kam Nata? Why do we do the big winding arms at the end? Because if you just learn the form and you don't learn the application, 
then we we can't start at the wooden dummy. We need to go back at Fuji. And if you're all right, Sifu, I was Sifu just thinking that we need to go form. back. So yeah, and if your Sifu only taught you the form and didn't teach you application, then I have to ask, well, how was your chum cue taught to you? Did you also just learn the form, <laughs> right. or did you learn step by step? So then, usually this, yeah, I learned the form, but I don't have any idea what it's for. That's usually mm-hmm. indicative of a larger problem that we need to go back and start from the beginning. So, um, yeah, that's, uh, that's what I got to say about that. All right. All right. All right. Let's, uh, let's move right along to my man, Jihad battle. Awesome. All right. Hello, Seagung. Where hello, hello. can one get some Ditta Jiao in New York? Okay. I'm, I'm, I'm assuming he's talking about New York city. You had yeah. mentioned it a while ago, maybe on dudes of Kung Fu. Yeah, I definitely talked about it on Dudes of Kung Fu, and uh, but I have mentioned it on this podcast from time to time. Ditazao, um, for people who don't know, it's a type of Chinese liniments. It's basically uh, kind of a medicine in liquid form, but it's topical. You put it on on your skin. You you do not you do not drink it or otherwise you do ingest not ingest it. this. Okay. Do not ingest it. Right? It's it has like, an alcohol. Uh, it's like Vicks vapor rub in a way for for. For that, for, for, for wing, yeah, for Wing Chun, for Wing Chun, ma- yeah. or I should say, for Kung Fu maladies, right? Yeah, um, it, it's uh, it, it basically there's a couple different schools of thought when it comes to the Tazao. There, there's um, there's a school of thought, or, or I should say, a type of formula that's more for like if you get bruised and beaten up in Kung Fu training, you know, you do violence. Let's sell violent gosso. You have uh, arm full of bruises and your knuckles mm-hmm. are all bruised up from hitting the wall bag or whatever. Then there are certain certain types of detail you can put on your arm or you know put over bruises and stuff to get the swelling and to get the inflammation to go down. Because if you look at the uh, the properties of the various herbs that are in different formulas of detail, most of them are okay. simply an- anti-inflammatory properties. So basically, it's like a type of anti-inflammation, Chinese anti-inflammation uh, water <laughs> that you put mm. on, on, okay. your, uh, on your skin. Then there's another type of Dita Jiao, which is more for conditioning. For example, for people who want to do a lot of wall bag training or might want to do iron palm training to toughen up their hands or toughen yeah. up whatever, then there are different formulas that are meant for that type of training. So you would put that Dita Jiao before you did uh, your wall bag training or your sandbag training, for example. Interesting. So, there, so there's kind of like a conditioning, skin conditioning type of Dita Jiao. Now, of course, they're huh. going to tell you all sorts of things like that this Dita Jiao formula is you know, going to seep into your tendons and ligaments and make them stronger <laughs> and stuff. Ah, and, and I just... I don't really see any scientific literature coming out saying that this ancient Chinese liniment that you put on is going to strengthen your tendons and ligaments. Mm-hmm. I would find that very hard to believe. I would think that if that was in fact true, some Western uh, uh-huh. company would have been mass producing Dita Jiao for strengthening the tendons and ligaments of all sorts of westerners and this would yeah. be something that would be well known so i don't believe that but i do I, and i have used some types of dita jiao that i found were very effective against bruising you get a bruise you use this type of dita jiao the bruising goes down let's say uh, 30 
percent or maybe even more co- more quickly than it otherwise would. But it's not mm. it's not like a golden bullet, right? And so I I don't know how um, how accurate the claims are in terms of that how well it works. Sifu Cheng Chun Fan, who's one of my Si Bakong in Hong Kong, he is also a Tita doctor, and he makes his own brand. Uh, supposedly, oh, wow. this is supposedly Leung Jan, our great great grandmaster, had a formula of Tita Jiao, and supposedly this is based off of that formula. But Sifu Cheng has also put in his own ingredients, including like camphor, which actually makes it smell a little bit like Vicks Vapor Rub. It's funny that you brought that up. When you smell, when you smell, for yeah, when you smell Sifu Cheng's yeah. Tita Jiao, it has kind of um, like a, almost like a nasal clearing, just burns your type. nose hairs, yeah. Well, no, it doesn't, it's, it's more just the one that clears your nose, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And and it has a, a very strong and, and pleasant smell. Um, and I like his, I think his is the best. When I when I was going to Hong Kong a little bit more regularly a number of years ago. I used to mm-hmm. stop by his office in Kowloon City to pick up, like you know, bring ten bottles of them home or whatever. But the problem is, I, I can't, I can't bring home enough to really sell it and make any money. I also don't have an import license for that, so I would, I would have to go to you know through customs and they would open up my bag and be like, "What's this?" And I'm like, "Oh, it's just some, <laughs> it's just some bruising sauce from China." Yeah. Um, and, and explaining, you know, it, they would always look at me funny, like, "Oh, are you trying to sell this?" It's like I got ten. What, my, yeah. my, what was my my big financial retirement plan was to go to Hong Kong and buy ten bottles of this so I can sell that. I mean, like, you know, so they would just let me through, but I haven't gotten that yes. stuff in a while. Um, right now, if you wanted to buy some good data out, you uh, you could go down I, probably to BLP, the martial arts store down on Mott Street, down in Chinatown. Yeah, and okay. I th- and I think that they have a few. I think they might have the one made by Sifu Takwa Eng, uh, which you know, if it's anything like the, the Sifu himself, who's a very uh, very good and very upright person, I assume his Tita Jiao is also quite good. Um, okay. And they probably have some other brands there as well. I don't know how much the manufactured Tita Jiao. Uh, how much better i mean you know compared to like someone who makes their own the store-bought stuff i'm sure that people think the store-bought stuff or the mass-produced stuff is not quite as good um Mm. it is also possible now with the internet you can go online and get um recipe for good dita jiao and how to make it so for most of making dita jiao you need a uh, alcohol base like very strong alcohol. I think people often use some some type of wine or even like a vodka or or some kind of heavy spirit. Wow! Um, and then and then you basically just put all the herbs in there, and it becomes this kind of muddy brown water. And you, if it's really traditional, you're supposed to take that stuff and bury it in the ground for ninety days before you use it. Uh, so. So, so okay, it's it's also yeah. I mean, you could go to to you could go online, find a reputable site, and I'm sure that they have the recipes there. You can print the list off there. Go to an herbalist in Chinatown and tell them you here's the list you want. If it's in Chinese, you hand it to them. They give it to mm-hmm. you, and you can actually make your own. And, and it, go from it, it there. It kind of makes making me think your own of, is cheapest. Yeah, it kind of makes me think of uh, something we would drink back in the day called mama guana. Oh yes, yeah. with rum, it made out of uh-huh. rum or something like that. So, but question for Mikey, Mikey, I've seen 
did Dajjal around the school many <laughs> times, but I've never used did Dajjal in any, like, I've had bruises. I've never had, like, anyone say, Dre, you should put some did Dajjal on that. Have you ever used it? I'd love to use it. That but works. you've never used it. No, I mean, I've used Tiger Bomb. That's about as close as I ever got to that. You know what I'm saying? But but you see, the thing about it is, is if we're talking about Vicks Vapor Rub, then, you know, (laughs) my 20s were wild. Let's put it that way. Just just, just leave it at that. It's just, it it was, the funny thing about that kind of stuff is that it's supposed to be very, very good if you've taken ecstasy for bringing everything up, right? So now- If I get some dit dajow, maybe I'll start taking ecstasy again. I'll let you know how that goes for you. Okay, and hopefully it'll cure it. my bruising as well, which would be super <laughs> awesome. You know what I mean? Anyway, we actually right. have um, a question from the comments. Uh, our man, Lee Holmes from the UK, has been waiting very patiently. Um, yes. Okay. So let's um, let's do that. He says, can you talk a little bit about the Wing Chun sections? I know you mentioned before that you don't teach sections but I was curious about how you teach and break it down for your students. That's a very good question. Now, this is a very WWT-specific question. So for those who come from nice. other, other lineages, um, this is maybe not the most relevant thing because this has to do with how Tang Wing Chun is disseminated and taught. And uh, also, it has something to do with politics and history and, and this kind of stuff. So... A long time ago, let's say before 1977, uh, Sifu mm. Langjing taught Wing Chun in a relatively systematic way, uh, especially for Chinese standards. Um, one of the things he realized in the late 60s when he started to have a lot of success is that you have to teach according to some kind of program. Otherwise, uh, if you have lots of students in your school, the one guy learned this thing from Lapta, the other guy didn't learn that, but he's actually been there longer. This other person learned both versions, um, both things, but also learned something else that that guy didn't learn. And the problem was when you teach in the typical traditional Chinese kind of stream of consciousness, kind of Sifu teaches whatever he's in the mood to teach that day, you're bound to have students who miss certain aspects, a student who got this, didn't get that, or they trained with this Sihang that really liked these collection of techniques, but didn't really know much about the other stuff. And so when you have to codify this very large mm, vocabulary of Qisou techniques, ideas, movements, Mm -hmm. whatever you want to call them, uh, you then have to figure out, okay, what should the students learn first? And then what can they learn later? And what's the best way to teach them? Now, Langting was in a unique position compared to his other contemporaries in that he had massive success in the late 70s. So whereas even the most successful guys in Hong Kong who were teaching Wing Chun, maybe they had 50 to 100 students in their school, but Sifu Langting would come to Germany and have a few hundred in the seminar. And and so that presented a new problem. When you teach the uh, Qi Sao, how do you teach Chisa when you have a seminar with 100 people, right? Do you, do you go and stick hands with every single person? Because if you start with the one, the first guy, by the time you get to the last guy, the seminar is over, right? And, and, <laughs> and so that can... What that a can great problem to have. It is a great problem to have. And he came up with a pretty good solution. It's easy for us now, all these years later, to go, okay, to find fault with his solution, 
because uh, we are standing on the shoulders of giants. We grew up with this stuff and it's easy after the fact to go, well, let me tell you the 10 issues that the cheese house sections brought up, but the cheese house sections did solve a problem. So what Siva Langting did is he, he did something that's kind of almost heretical in Wing Chun is that he created sequences for the chi cell. Okay. Now this is obviously going to bring, it's, it's a red light, red alarms are going to go off. Red lights and alarms are going to go off when you hear sequences and chi cell, because as we know, chi cell is meant to be a spontaneous type of exercise that's based on dealing with what your opponent does in that moment, what you feel, the direction of their force. And so it's a very organic and live thing. So how can you then create sequences for something that's actually supposed to be based on feeling? Well, I'll show you, 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 you or I'll tell you. Um, when you have specific types of attacks, comes uh, out for example, the first attack, which is prominent in Tisa Program 1, Lapta, low attacks, Pakta, Tsetsau, all these kind of things, okay? How do you disseminate all of those skills in a way where everyone learns it the same way? Well, you create a basic, teaching sequence. You say, okay, from Poonsao, for example, I'm going to come in and attack you with this first attack. And then you learn how to do that. And then you go, okay, this is how you defend the first attack. And then you do this. And then you go, okay, well, when I do the first attack and someone defends and then does the pack that to me, this is how I defend that. And then we can go into this thing. And then, so what it does is it's like a bunch of if then statements. And the whole point of it is to codify a rather large vocabulary of movement. Um, mm-hmm. Other Wing Chun styles may not have that much Chi Sao to codify. It's a lot of Wing Chun styles, they just do Poon Sao. They have a couple basic attacks out of Poon Sao, and then they have Lapta, and then they have Pakta, and then everything else is figure it out on your own. Well, okay. the Leung the Ting method is, is a little bit more structured and nuanced than that. So uh, we have, in other words, more Chi Sao to teach. We don't have so we don't just have just do punzao, just do lapta, try to hit the guy, and then do pakta, try to hit the guy, and pray for the best, you know. Um, mm-hmm. So, Siva Langton created a, basically a teaching sequence: you first attack, defend, do this, go into lapta, go into jutsao, go into your indoor attacks, pakta, low attack, all this kind of stuff, right? Shoulder launch, lutsao coming back in, all these kind of things, and that became Chisao Program One. And the idea was as follows. And it was Siva Langting's brilliant idea. And in theory, it worked, but it didn't necessarily work in practice. So he would come to a seminar, let's say, for mm. example, in Germany, there'd be a few hundred people there. He would be able to break them off into groups. And then what he would do is he would show them their cheese out program for their current level. Okay, you got to learn this and you got to do this. He'd let them train it. Then he would show them the next thing and then the next thing. And at the end of, let's say, the seminar, they would have a skeleton of movements, all right? The first attack, lap dots, all of these different kind of things that they could practice with a partner. And because it was done in a sequence, they could remember it. Because if I, if I ask you to memorize 10 words and I just give you 10 random words, it might be difficult for you to keep that list in your head. But if yeah. I took those 10 words and I put them into a sentence, then it would be much easier for you to remember the sentence than it would be for you to remember 10 random words, even yeah. if the sentence itself was somewhat nonsensical, but you can remember a nonsensical <laughs> sentence easier than you can just remember 10 random words. So that was kind of the idea behind the sections that 
you would kind of learn to, to keep my analogy, a random sentence so that you yeah. could learn these, let's just say 10 words, 10 techniques, whatever, right? And then next time Sifu Learnton came, he would show you how to use those movements in sparring. So the idea would be you would take the skeleton of a sequence and you would drill it for, let's say, six months. And you would get really good at doing the sequence, which didn't mean you had good cheese out. It just meant you could do a sequence. And at the end of the six months, you would be really polished on the sequence. And now it would be time to learn how to use it. And then he would come and then the idea would be that he would then teach you out or cheese sparring and show you, okay, well, here's how you do the lapta in the drill. Here's how we actually do it in sparring. And here's how we apply all of these different things when your partner is resisting you. And then, so you would learn all of your cheese out techniques in kind of two phases. You would learn a sequence, a dry skeleton of a partner form, let's say, for lack of a better phrase. And then at some okay. point in the next few months, either from your instructor or from another seminar, you would learn how to apply those movements in sparring. And in sparring, we really mean the other guy's resisting, fighting back, and you have to learn how to use these things in different situations. Then right. you would learn the second section, which would then teach you a new set of movements. You would polish those that sequence, and then you would learn how to do that in sparring with a partner. And then you would learn the third one and the fourth one. And then there were seven sections of cheese out for Siunam, Tao, and Chum And then eventually, when you were qualified to learn Buji, you would learn the Buji cheese out, which there were four to five sections there, depending on how much he wanted to charge you or not charge you. And then when you <laughs> learned the wooden dummy form, uh, then you would have to learn eight wooden dummy cheese out sections, which corresponded to the eight sets on the wooden dummy. Um, so that's how it was done, very one-to-one. -one. But the section was only supposed to be the basic introduction. Now you learn All these right. movements and it's a little robotic and a little stiff. Okay, now let me show you how to use the first attack in these different situations and let's out and packs out and all these kind of things, right? Um, you have to learn gosso in order to know what, why you even have these things. And you cannot learn anything if you only learn the sections. And so mm -hmm. the problem was that was his idea. Sequence, so you learn by rote like a machine and then we deconstruct it and we make it real. And then you learn the next one in the same pattern. That was the idea. The problem was is that as things went along, uh, it would seem that, and this is just my speculation, I could totally be wrong here, but this is my observations. Uh, I, I have a feeling that over time, Siva Langton got a little lazy at his seminars and he realized that it was okay. easier to teach the sequences and to teach the sections than to kind of metaphorically and literally roll up your sleeves and then teach these guys how to do the sparring. Because in order to learn how to apply these things in sparring, you need a Wing Chun coach. You need someone mm. who's going to kind of like play with you a little bit, feed you different things, resist you a little bit, push. And then as you get better at these things, then they're going to start really resisting you and fighting back and seeing how well you can do it. And once you can do it with someone who's resisting you, then the trainer might even throw in non-Wing Chun stuff in there just to make sure that you don't think the world revolves around Wing Chun. And okay. I, I think as Sifu Langton got older, the idea of kind of rolling up his sleeves and teaching sparring became less attractive because now he's going to have to do it with all these guys in a seminar and he's getting older and he's getting more tired. So what did he start doing? He started focusing on teaching sections. So what happened? 
you have an, you have generations of Wing Chun people who want to argue about the variations of the first attack in Chi Sao Program One. Do you do it with a single grab? Do you do it with two grabs? Do you do it with a shift? Do you do it with a turn? And they will bicker about all of these things in a way that the Chinese WT people almost don't even know what they're talking about. Because right. the, because in Hong Kong, the sequences were very simple and they only represented step one of basically three steps to learn Chi Sao. It was, it's kind of like learning the Siunam Tao form and thinking you know how to fight because you learned the Siunam Tao form. No, you need to learn how to apply the Siunam Tao form against different types of attacks and then ultimately inspiring. Well, Chi Sao is the same. You need to mix up those things you learn in Chi Sao and then you got to put it in sparring. So if someone only learned the section, I can very um, truthfully and openly say they don't know anything about the Chi Sao. And, mm, and right. then the problem is the section can sometimes be interpreted a little bit differently or can be shown in different ways. So Sifu Langting might show it one way in Berlin the next week in Dusseldorf, he shows it a slightly different way. And now okay. those two instructors who learn two different ways go, no, you're supposed to do it this way. No, 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 you're supposed to do it this way. And they're arguing about the section. They're arguing about the least important of the three methods that will eventually give you competency in Chi Sao. And uh, so that's why Siva Langting's solution to a problem of teaching on math very quickly became a problem of people now overvaluing the sections and mm. thinking that the sections wow. or the variations are the key. I can't tell you how many times people contact me. Hey, Sifu Alex, can you teach me the wooden dummy cheese house sections the way you learned it from Sifu Lang Tang? I'm like, I could, but I wouldn't really be teaching you wooden dummy cheese house. If I did that, I would be giving you one third wow. of the program, okay. you know, because then we have, we have to, we have to mix that up organically and then we have to put it up in sparring. If I just teach you the section, I feel like I've kind of taken your money and ran away for no reason. Yeah. Um, I Cheated. feel like I'm ripped. Yeah. If, you, if you come in and if I just taught someone only a section, like if they paid me for five lessons to teach them, let's say five sections of Chiso, I would feel terrible afterwards. I would feel like I took their <laughs> money and taught them nothing. Um, oh, and, and, and so the sections created a problem in that the students started to it's like some kind of religiosity how do you interpret the texts right and now everyone's how do you interpret this section wow. and then they're going is the first attack done with one grab and a tan cell one grab and a fuck cell two grabs with a turn without a turn what they don't realize is when you learn how to do it in sparring you're going to learn why it might be done this way why it might be done direct why you might grab with one arm why you might grab with two arms sparring answers the questions of variation and they're trying to get all the variations by learning the sections i have sibus come to me mm. from europe they tell me oh i i have five versions of wooden dummy chisa one and i want to know how to apply all of those versions in sparring and i go first of all you only need one version of the section what you need is one version of the section and then you need the key to how to use it in different situations you don't need more sections you don't need more variation so so the problem was a solution created new problems so that's the mm. first thing second thing is kind of more on a personal note why i don't teach sections is because originally the sections were meant for seminars they were meant for a time when a sifu or a master or whatever would visit an area for let's say a couple of weeks and would have to dump all this information on their schools and students there. And then they would go back, let's say, 
so Hong Kong in the case of Siva Langtang, and then six months later come back and then do another info dump. So the oh, idea yeah. was it was also a quick way to teach a high number of movements quickly because it's that nonsensical 10 word sentence rather than mm. teaching 10 random words. But the problem is everyone thought the nonsensical sentence had meaning. They didn't learn. No, it's the 10 words you have to learn how to use in different situations. You have to learn a word and then put it into your vocabulary yeah. and use that word in different sentences. But they keep thinking the secret is in this 10 word sentence and the secrets, the secret is in learning what the words mean, not in trying to figure out different ways to interpret the sentence. You understand? Oh man. You need to learn yeah. what the words mean, not the sentence. Okay. Because you learn what the words mean, you can use the word in any context. Exactly. And you can use it to create new sentences and new ways of dialogue. But you have an entire mm -hmm. generation of WT people that are trying to shoehorn this one sentence into every situation. I go, no, 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 you need to break it into the words. All right. So so that is kind of the 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 problem that the sections created. Now, again, to come come back to to how I solved it is I realized even until a few years ago, I was still teaching the sections, but I would teach the section and then go out and then, you know, we, we did it in the kind of Chinese way. And then I realized, but they don't even really do it this way in Hong Kong. Why? Because if your Sifu is in the room or your teacher is in the room mm -hmm. and you can see them twice a week, presumably because you come to class, then why is the Sifu using a teaching method that's meant for someone who only sees the students twice a year? Oh, the section was for Sifu Learn Ting to do an info dump twice a year at the various locations. And then the instructors would take that information and break it down into day by day lessons on how to use this stuff, not into teaching more sections to new students. And I will never forget, I was in, in my car with Sifu Learn Ting one day and I, I asked them, I said, this was very early on when I was still trying to transition from how I understood it to what he was teaching. So this is like 2003, 2004. And I remember I asked him in the car, I go, uh, Sigong, um, how good should a student section be before I show them how to do the application? Because in Europe, we had that perfectly polished sections that were like so clean before we even allowed to learn application, right? And I noticed in oh, Hong wow. Kong, they didn't they didn't wait until the sections were polished before they started showing them to use it. So I wanted to know from the guy who created the program, how good does the section need to be before I can start teaching Gosso? And I'll never forget his answer because it, my jaw was on the floor and it took me a very long time to reconcile what he said. And that was, he looked at me like almost like I had asked him a bizarre question. And he goes, the students aren't supposed to learn the sections. The, only the instructor is supposed to learn the sections. Wow. And I was like, uh-huh. Because as a, when I was a student, <laughs> we would all learn the sections. And he said, yes, when I come to teach the instructor class, the instructor seminar, the sequence is so that the instructor can remember all of those things. And then you teach the instructor the sparring, but the instructor is supposed to teach how to use it and inspiring in pieces. He's not supposed to teach a section. The section is like an onomatopoeia in his head to quickly recall the information or like a Rolodex. Uh, Tuesday, I taught this thing. So today I can teach this thing. They know the sequence because they have the nonsensical 10 Wild. word sentence in their head, but yeah. they're supposed to teach the words, not the sentence. 
And that was <laughs> completely lost in translation. And so what I did is I just broke everything down into words and phrases and drills. And I don't need to teach sections because my students can see me every week at City Wing Jun. I'm not going to yeah. leave in six months and then they got to, I got to give them a bunch of stuff for them to chew on in the meantime. That's not how it works. Mm -hmm. So I hope that answers that question. Cool. I think it does. We have another question from the chat, actually. Okay, um, let's do it. Yeah, Frank O. Hey, Frank O. Hey, What's shout up, out man? to Frank O. Yeah, hey, KFG, Dre and Mikey. Hey. Question, hey. is there a martial arts movie that you felt portrayed Wing Chun te techniques most realistically? Ooh. Uh, well, you know, realistically, in terms of how they use it in, like, real fighting... Um, I would have to say uh, the first fight scene with uh, Brad Pitt's character in the movie Snatch when he knocks that guy out with a sidestep. <laughs> That's the most realistic looking Wing Chun I've ever seen on film. And it's one punch. Wow. Ain't that yes. something? Mm -hmm. Ain't that you were going to say something, Dre. I was going to say recently I showed the little one the uh, Alita, the Battle Angel. Oh, yeah, there's some Wing Chun in there, I think, right? Oh, she kills it with Wing Chun. And a right. lot of it is like, what? That is total Wing Chun badassery. Yes, that's right. That's it, right. Love yeah, that I movie. mean, look, th there are a lot of films that make Wing Chun look uh, like very visually appealing, I think, especially some of the earlier Yip Man movies um, have mm -hmm. done a really good job. And, you know, you'll see Wing Chun elements in different films couple beats here and there where people kind of use some Wing Chun. Um, and obviously my favorite Kung Fu film of all time is Prodigal Son, which is a Wing Chun film. It does take a lot of creative license with how Wing Chun is actually done in terms of like, if you want to say in an orthodox kind of way. Um, oh, but um, I wouldn't say it's necessarily realistic because it's highly stylized Kung Fu movie, right? So um yeah i think that that one punch that brad pitt does where he steps to the side and puts his puts his body weight behind with the turn it's like okay. it, that's the that's the old style sidestep uh it's almost like the old style learning Chang swing defense it's yeah. perfect it's beautiful um another thing that rings for me is the way thanos beats the hulk's ass in um avengers in uh um not uh Infinity War was it? at the beginning, yeah, Infinity beginning of Infinity yes. War. Yeah, I, yes. I, re I remember that. I remember that fight, but I don't remember individual beats in there. I just oh, remember, man. you know, that's also what made those Marvel films so great. It's like you know, Hulk is mm -hmm. so incredible, and then you see Hulk versus Thanos, and then that just sets the stage for how dangerous Thanos is. You know what I mean? And I think that's <laughs> super important in films. If you're going to introduce a villain, you have to know that this villain means business. And um, I'm still waiting for them to to make Kang mean business because I'm not quite nearly as intimidated by Kang as I was by Thanos. And I think that's uh, that's, a, that's the thing you need to do. The villain needs to be terrifying. Like everyone around them is terrified of them, right? We, we have time for that, though. He's coming in a couple more movies. And I think, you know, his, his being terrifying is so far less about him being intimidated than was person just for the fact that there are infinite versions of them and they're all batshit crazy. Right, right. And I think that's exactly. kind of where that's at. Now, the question is, will any one of those be a Wing Chun master? 
That's an interesting question. That's an interesting nice. question. I would love a Marvel. We may, we need Shang Chi needs to do more Wing Chun, man. Yeah, absolutely. I thought that was a soft. Right. It, it ended up being pretty solid. Wow, that yeah, was a, absolutely. Um, a, a conversation stopper. We can. We, there's a couple <laughs> more here. Uh, one more in the um, chat. You know, if you want to go for that one, or Dre, do you have another one? Yeah, let's uh, go for the a, next. Uh, let's go. Let's go for the next one in the chat, just because I want to make sure all our Patreons who did come live get their questions okay. answered, because I can always answer the pre-written question on another episode. And the questions have all true. been good so far, yeah. Absolutely. Okay, so um, the real John Rubio, as opposed to that fake one that always comes around. Um, right. Sifu Alex, have you heard any stories of Sifu Lung Sung Hun? I can't pronounce this properly. Lung Soi Hung, of him... Or of him training with Bruce Lee in Hong Kong during the fifties. Leung Siu Hong. Siu Hong, so known as a Duncan Leung. Um, so I have not. I've I have done a fair amount of research into the various uh, students of Grandmaster Yip Man, and especially anything revolving in the orbit of Bruce Lee and the types of people that he trained with and his training partners. And yeah, as I mentioned multiple times before, Sipa Chanchi Man, uh, the late Sipa Chanchi Man is a very good friend, knew Bruce Lee and had great stories. So I, I had the chance to ask him a lot about, because what you want to do is you want to find out who are all the people who are around at that time? Because you want to paint a picture of like, who was hanging out with whom? You know, when, it came, when, when they came to the Wing Chun class, like, you know, who did Bruce Lee come to the class with? Who were, who were his peeps? Right. Who are the guys that he was, you know, who are his boys that he was hanging out with afterwards and stuff. And um, uh, the, the Duncan Leung has not come up at all in Hong Kong. And so I, I don't I don't know. He, he I've, I've tried to ask a number of Sifus who are around at that time about him. And no one even many of the, 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 the restaurant union guys who are around at that time almost hardly any of them even knew Duncan Leung's name. Now that doesn't mean that mm. Duncan Leung didn't learn from Grandmaster Yip Man or anything like that. Uh, because you have to imagine Grandmaster Yip Man is teaching lots of different people at different times. He teaches some people privately. He teaches some people in the group class. He teaches some people over here. Even Sifu Chan Chi Man told me that when he started learning from Grandmaster Yip Man at the restaurant union, because he worked in the evening, uh, Chan Chi Man was available during the day. And he paid to learn in the group class, but when he showed up, there was no one else there. So even though he was paying for the group class rate, he was basically getting private lessons with Grandmaster Yip Man because all of the other all of the other students of Yip Man came in the evening when they were off of work. But because of Tan Sifu's job, he could come during the daytime. So while he was learning from Yip, Yip Man during the daytime, there was no one else there. So it wasn't until other people came or Chan Chi Man went to other locations that people saw who Chan Chi Man was. But had Sifu Chan Chi Man only learned during that time and never went on to also learn at the, the, uh, the, the Prince Temple or the other places, um, other people might not have seen him and they might be like, Chan, Chan Chi Man who, right? So it's totally right. possible that someone could have learned from Grandmaster Yip Man even relatively intimately and other people did not hear about him. But I've, I've tried my best to find out about Duncan Leung because he is someone who's made a name here in the States. He's been around for quite a while. He has got a lot of students. Um, there are no letters from Bruce Lee to Duncan Leung that anyone has produced. Um, there, 
are no references to Duncan Lang in any of Bruce's letters, even to other people like Wong Sun Lang or William Chow and other people who are contemporaries of his time uh, don't, don't seem to have much to say about him. So, so I would have to assume that he must have learned privately from Grandmaster Yip Man when other people weren't around. Because When uh, did you I, first I, hear about Duncan Lang? Um, I've, I heard about him oh, very early on in my learning career because he was in uh, uh, some of his students are on online and that's, you know, I've read oh. some articles from his students even before I started pursuing WT very heavily. And uh, obviously Duncan Lamb was in New York he, uh, in the seventies. So there okay. are some people who learn from him and people who learn from people who learn from him still around in New York to this day. Um, but uh, in, I, I never met him personally, and I haven't found much reference to him in any of the historical stuff. But that doesn't mean anything. That just that just is what it is. Um, the uh, absence of evidence of, of certain people in historical records doesn't mean that they didn't exist. Uh, so, uh, I mean, didn't exist as like a student or something. Like, obviously, like, like, like Beardy. Like Beardy, uh, of well, course, right? Well, you, you, you could definitely... You could definitely make a strong case that Beardy might not be real. Or um, Dr. Eisen. Or Dr. Eisen. No, no, he's real. Yes. He's real. By the way, before we, um, uh, be before we get out of here, I did, I did want to talk a little bit about that Brandon Lee video that I posted uh, a yeah. little over a week ago. Uh, I posted it on, um, on my Instagram, at the Kung Fu Genius, and I also posted it here on YouTube, both as a short and as a regular video. It's an excerpt from a an interview that Brandon Lee did. I'm going to say it's around the time of Rapid Fire, probably. And mm -hmm. uh, the entire interview is actually, you can find it on, on YouTube. But my good yeah. friend Hector Martinez, who's a Bruce Lee collector, he sent me this one clip where... Well, he Brandon... was being really cheeky in that video. Absolutely. Really cheeky. And What's also funny, the, um, the reactions that some people had in the comments to it, um, because I didn't, I didn't say what Bruce said. So basically, I'll just set it up real quick for those of you who haven't seen it. Um, Brandon is asked by the interviewer if he could teach her something in Cantonese. And uh, Brandon gets this kind of funny look on his face, and he's a little shy. And basically, he, he, says, he says something in Cantonese, which... Uh, it's kind of the first thing any of your Cantonese friends tell you how to say, which is something very bad. And uh, he says, and then of course he makes a joke that he said, oh, she's like, oh, what does that mean? He says, oh, you have lovely eyes. It absolutely does not mean she has lovely eyes. <laughs> he, actually, he actually gave her a pretty brutal insult, but he did it in a kind of a tongue in cheek kind of way. And also I think that, you know, he had done a lot of those interviews and I think, you know, he was probably tired of getting asked the same questions again and again. And he also seemed to have a little bit of that streak in him where he, you know, liked to kind of tease or taunt or, or um, you know, start trouble or mischief or whatever. I just, um, because I watched that uh, interview with Brandon Lee, of course, mm. you know how YouTube is. Now YouTube is suggesting all these different, you know, Brandon Lee-like videos. Oh, yeah. And I watched, I watched a video last night. It was an interview with Brandon Lee uh, for... Um, rapid fire but he had just gotten the crow and he talked about how excited he was about getting the crow which is very bittersweet knowing what happens on the set but the um the interview is about half an hour long and i realized 
I, I don't think I've actually sat through half an hour of listening to Brandon Lee. By the way, whose who's sirens are those? Most likely. There we go. Most yeah, likely there Mikey he is. Dean. Yeah. But I, I don't, you don't want to live in Mikey Dean's neighborhood. No. Trust <laughs> I was just thinking the same thing. I'm glad I moved from Mikey Dean's neighborhood. Yeah. So, um, uh, I, you know, I realized, like, I don't think I ever sat and listened to Brandon Lee speak for half an hour. I mean, I've seen I gotta films. I got to see this. And I've seen, you know, he was on Jay Leno, which is a very short interview. But I was like, mm-hmm. I want to hear him. And, and it's really lovely. He's very well spoken. He was very well spoken and very articulate. He had a very interesting take on things. And he actually talks about how he got kicked out of high school for being kind of a bit rebellious. And so this kind of, this kind of streak, you <laughs> oh, know, wow. when you see him kind of say that, that curse word to, uh, to the interviewer, it, falls in line with what we kind of know about him. It's really a shame, you know, it's a shame what happened to Brandon Lee because when I saw that interview last night, you know, we yeah. all know that it, it, it's a, it was a life cut too short and, and in a very stupid way and tragically and carelessly, you know. Um, but, you know, you, the memories fade a little bit and then sitting there and watching the in a half hour interview with Brandon Lee, I was just like, wow. I was just thinking like if he had not passed away, I mean, I was just imagining him in the matrix and I was imagining him in other roles and I was imagining him, you know, maybe doing something with Sammo Hung in, in Hong mm. Kong. And, and there was just all this potential and he was so smart and so good looking. And it's, it's such a shame. It's really yeah. such a shame um, because there was just so much, so much potential there. So I think before we get out of here, maybe we will answer one more question. I don't know if there's another question in the live stream or if we're going to move to some of our pre-written questions. Yeah, we don't have any more questions in the live stream. There was one comment uh, going back to our previous question from Frank O. A guy, Matt Jorgensen, mm-hmm. said that a good example would be Brian Mills from Taken. Um, That's Liam Neeson's of... character in terms of like Wing Chun oh, right. on film. Oh, you know, I I saw. I think I saw the the first Taken movie. I mean, when I see something that reminds me of Wing Chun, it hits me like a ton of bricks. Mm-hmm. Because it'll be like, oh wow, look at this. And if it if it doesn't, then it will be kind of unremarkable. I don't remember anything. I mean, look, when the hands move fast and you move close range, it's very easy to to see parallels there. But I have a I have a different when when I when I see if for me to see that there's wing chun in there, I need to see function. Uh, it's very easy to see shapes, wing chun shapes. But that doesn't mean that they're following the function. You could you could do you could do Wing Chun shapes with a karate concept, and I'm and I wouldn't even notice mm-hmm. it. I would just say it's not Wing Chun because I, right. I, it needs to be functionally Wing Chun as opposed to just uh, visually. And I and that and I don't know. I would have to rewatch that movie to to see if I if I miss something. But if there's something functionally representing how Wing Chun works, even if it used a different way of moving. But yeah, I can mm-hmm. still see the Wing Chun function in there. I'd be like, oh, wow, that guy's using some kind of Wing Chun idea there. But someone could do a bone cell in the middle of a, of a fight choreography. And I, that wouldn't even, that, that <laughs> wouldn't even, it. that wouldn't even register on my radar because just to throw up a Wing Chun shape doesn't in uh. fact mean that Wing Chun is being used. I have a, a very snobby high bar for that kind of stuff. So before, <laughs> shocker. Shocker. Before we get out of here, uh, Dre, why don't you maybe give me one more question from our Patreons and then we will yes. call it a day today. I got uh, Mark Pinder. 
Awesome. And he says, uh, AL, Mr. Genius and team, if you could witness firsthand anything related to Bruce Lee, what would it be? Any of his fights, training sessions with Yip Man screen test for number one son? Hi, by the way. Uh, no oh, she, interaction. She, she can't with hear him you allowed. because I have the headphones. I have uh, the headphones. She can't hear you. So, uh, no says, interaction with him is allowed. By okay. The way. So, so we, we cannot intervene. We can only watch. Well, then I mm -hmm. think. He said, uh, by the way, I think mine would be his fight with wrong jackass because of its significance. And also, I'd see that coward run. Oh. Yeah, I mean, yeah, who, who wouldn't want to? Who wouldn't want to see uh, Wong Jack Man? You know, not in the form that he later claimed that he was. You know, some kind of real rival for Bruce Lee, but basically someone who's running and scratching from someone terrified of Bruce Lee's chain punches, uh, terrified of actually engaging him. Um, yeah, I mean, th that it, uh, it would be a toss-up between that and uh the the watching on the set of enter the dragon when the one extra hopped down from the uh from the wall to challenge bruce and then bruce kicked him in the face and made and made him draw blood very easily and then in a non-vindictive way did not have him fired allowed that stuntman to keep working there i think that one because the thing with wong jack man is the only counter narrative to what happened that day comes mm -hmm. from Wong Jack Man himself. And Wong Jack Man very regularly seemed to change his tune in terms of what happened. So we, we you don't have a, a reliable narrator with Wong Jack Man in terms of what happened. Uh, you know, right. you, at, at any given point, when you look at the different recollections of, of the late Wong Jack Man, it was everything from he had soundly defeated Bruce Lee to it was a draw to Bruce Lee cheated to inconclusive. Um, you know, it, it's kind of floated there. But for me, uh, David Chin, who was a Chinese martial arts practitioner, he was Wong Jackman's friend. And he was when they showed up to the Oakland school to challenge Bruce Lee, Wong Jackman came with some of his boys because it's very mm. rare if you're going to go challenge someone you normally don't go alone, right? And uh, advice for any martial arts instructors out there who might have their own school, if someone is coming to start trouble, they almost never come alone. Uh, they always come in these little groups. And, uh, but of course, Bruce knew that there was a challenge. It wasn't like, I don't think they had showed up unannounced. But Wong Jack Man came with his crew and in his crew was uh, a martial arts Sifu named David Chin. I don't know if he was training at the same school with Wong Jack Man, or he was from another style, but he was part of the Chinese martial arts community. He was on right. Team Wong Jack Man, and he was also supposedly a bit of an instigator. He was kind of the guy who instigated the thing between Bruce and Wong Jack Man. And David Chin said Bruce Lee won, and he mm. was the guy on Wong Jack Man's side. Now, when you're looking for um, when you're looking for evidence to support a claim it's normally a very strong support of your claim when one of your witnesses is someone who attests to something even though it's against their own interests. So David Chin is on the Wong Jack Man side. He would have every 
reason to kind of fudge it to Wong Jackman's narrative because he's Wong Jackman's friend. He came with Wong Jackman as part of the team that was challenging Bruce Lee. And he said Wong Jackman lost. So because it's very easy to say, yeah, well, of course, Linda Lee is going to say Bruce Lee won. She's his wife. Of course, James M. Lee is going to say this. Of course, the people on Bruce's side are going to be there. Yeah. And I agree with you, although they all said basically the same story. You have to go, yeah, obviously, there's going to be some bias there because those are Bruce Lee's students. But what about David Chin, Wong Jackman's boy? who instigated the fight, was on the side of Wong Jackman, was there the day of the fight, was like, yeah, Bruce Lee won. For me, that's it. So for that reason, I tend to believe the the accounts of what happened that day that basically Wong Jackman ran away and kind of tripped and fell okay. and Bruce landed on him, right? So it's for that reason that I think it would be a bit disappointing to go back and see the Wong Jackman fight because I think it's going to go the way you expect it to go, which is going to be a very inelegant, you know, one dude's there to fight, the other guy's there running away. Just like in UFC, when one guy's running away, what does everyone do? They boo, right? So I don't, mm. I don't, I don't think this is, so in other words, my, uh, my belief in, in the account of what happened that day is not that weak that I still feel I need to go see it. What I want to see is what happened to that extra who jumped down and challenged Bruce Lee that one day on the set of Enter the Dragon. That one I want to see. That one I think is far more interesting. Or to see if there was an actual fight between Bruce and Lao Tai Chin. I think uh, I would watch that. So, so okay. let me go like this for me. I would say, okay, number one, I would say I would want to watch the fight between Bruce Lee and Lao Tai Chin. But if, uh. but if the genie that is granting me this wish says... Uh, but that fight never actually happened uh, or that was just it, that never actually turned into something Then I would say, okay, the Bruce Lee extra fight on enter the dragon. And then if for whatever reasons it was like, well, that, that wasn't, that was a big nothing burger too. Then I would say, okay, fine. Uh, actually, no, I no. Ooh, now, now I'm, I'm thinking aloud in real time. What? No, no, I don't want to watch any of those. I just realized why am I being so stupid? I, I want to I want to watch Bruce Lee's fight in the Seattle YMCA versus the Karate Guy, where he ran, where he supposedly ran over the Karate Guy in twenty two seconds with chain punches, and kicked him when he was on the ground. That's the fight I want to see, because that would also show you what was the early Bruce Lee mm. like before any JKD stuff. So, yeah, I've changed my mind in real time. It's the fight versus the Japanese Karate Guy in the handball court of the YMCA in Seattle. I want to okay. see him. I want to see him do the one-inch punch on Grandmaster Baxter. <laughs> oh shit! <laughs> I, okay, I'm curious. What's the screen test for Number One Son? That's the uh, that's the screen test that you've seen before. You know the black and white uh, screen test that Bruce Lee does. You know where he's sitting there. He's like, um, Bruce Lee, I'm 24 years old. You know, and then he's like, This is a crane fall, and he shows all that. Scholar. That that is often mistakenly labeled as his a green hornet um uh, audition but originally it was for charlie chan's number one son Got and it. he ended up not okay. getting that role but uh, william dozier who was there saw it liked it and then later used bruce lee for the green hornet but originally that was for charlie chan's number one son which is why i believe bruce was showing a lot about chinese opera and other things like that too i think he mm. wanted to he wanted to ensure 
the producers that he wasn't just a Chinese guy, but he was really a Chinese guy who really knew this stuff. So, um, I would, so anyway, I would yes. like to see that fight that he had with uh, the boxing guy, um, the the Gary Elms. Yeah, Gary Elms. No, I think if you could, if 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 you could only see one thing, and you have the, uh, you have the list of Bruce Lee's fights, okay. Uh, can, the, the, the fight against the Japanese guy was very serious. The Wong, the Wong Jack Man fight, one guy's running. The Bruce Lee extra fight's kind of interesting. Lao Tai Chun fight is kind of interesting. I think the boxing match he had at age 17 or 18 would be boringly unspectacular. Hmm. You know, Bruce wasn't able to put him away maybe because he was still young and scrawny. Maybe he didn't quite have the power, but he outpointed this guy. So you're going to look at you know what in intramural teenage boxing looks like uh now put that in the late 50s okay. i i don't think i don't think that that's the bruce lee you want to watch um just a, but just a couple years after that you're going to want to watch that guy demolish a karate exponent so anyway wow that's all i gotta say today i want to thank our few patreon supporters who could make it for this time a lot of yes. our Patreon supporters are in Europe and in Asia, so I realized it was a little bit difficult to get everyone coordinated, so that's why we couldn't have that many. So for those of you who did come out, I definitely appreciate that. And the rest of the questions we answered were from Patreon. This will be the regular episode for next week. Um, I'm going to ask our Patreons if there is, in fact, a better time where we could get the most number of people to come and join together, then maybe we'll do that. Um, but I definitely, I definitely had a lot of fun doing this. It was nice having Mikey Dean run the controls so I don't have to see the constant streams and all the other stuff too. So that was, that made things a lot easier. So thank you yes, so thank much, you, Mikey, Mikey. For, for controlling stuff and adding the extra sound effects of the siren. Definitely appreciate it. Uh, Dre, as always, <laughs> thanks for, for being there to ask me, ask me the really hard questions and, Put yeah. putting you know putting me to the fire to make sure that I give those those real KFG answers. So, thank you guys. That's everything today. We'll see you guys next time. And every day I practice martial arts. <laughs> <laughs>